Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing all right, Jody. As always, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Trying to get my left shoulder back into working order. Yeah, I know you had a little bit of a shoulder incident this past week, so. They call it frozen shoulder. I don't know exactly why, because it wasn't exactly frozen, but, you know, good thing it's not going to need surgery and I'll be able to get back to smashing a pickleball soon. All right. Yeah. Well, good. See what happens when you get too active? (laughs) <laughs> see what happens when you get out of the studio and you try to be a professional athlete something bad no i'm just kidding yeah yeah want to get too healthy and, and uh, get exercise and stuff yeah don't do it just stay in the studio and, and hunch over a desk that's the way to a healthy living <laughs> yes master the idea there is that it is important to be properly stretched before you do anything athletic. And of course, the athletic thing that probably threw my shoulder for a loop is throwing a baseball. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, that's what happens when we all, our ego tells us that we're still 21. It's like, I can do this. Of course. And your body goes, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And then the idea there is that the importance of stretching is key to your ability to not stay hunched over a studio desk. And in relation to what we're talking about today, it's important to have a reference for how you mix, right? Yeah, it certainly can be. Uh, Reference mix is just something that I haven't necessarily used as vigorously, shall we say, as a lot of other people Mm. when I've been mixing in the past. But I mentioned when my Friday find, I think it was last week or the week before, where I discovered that that it actually helped me in a certain situation. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about reference mixing. But but what's your opinion on reference mixing? I think you have a similar experience. Well, you really kind of left it vague because you didn't left- say exactly what you were doing as of late to make reference mixing a part of your workflow. Well, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about for the next 45 minutes. So I thought I left it a little bit open here. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to be as vague. So I'm going to say that Go ha- for it. I have used reference mixing or the mm-hmm. idea of having a reference to another song right. as part of my mixing workflow. I don't do it 100% of the time, but I do do it when I have questionable things that I need to think about when doing a mix. Okay, like what would those things be, for example? A big portion of it is, is if there's a certain way a bass sound is supposed to sound. Mm -hmm. When you're not in the greatest of mixing environments, which we all strive to be in a great mixing environment, it Mm -hmm. helps to be able to listen to a song that an artist will bring you and say, hey, I really dig the low end in this song well, then I'm going to want a copy of that song so I can stick it into a means of being able to hear it as I'm doing the mix. That's what I mean by that. Or if there's a high-end thing or a level thing in terms of a particular instrument or a vocal or whatever it is, then I'm going to have a reference for what they want to give me a reference as to how I'm going to approach doing a particular mix. So is it fair to say that for you, your use of reference mixing is more of an EQ thing or is it like an instrument balance thing? Or is it, you know, I know it's probably both to a certain degree, but it sounds like you're describing it's a little bit more of 
you know, like you said, making the low end sit a certain way or clarity in the high end or, or you know, anywhere in between that. But, but is it more like a soundscape overall sound for you as opposed to an individual track balance thing? Yes. Yes. All that. Okay. All right, good. All right. So uh, moving on to Friday Find. <laughs> yeah. It's, essentially, it's that. It Again, as I was mentioning there, it has more to do with the person wanting the mix done. Saying, yeah. I would like this in my song as the reference, whether it's a level or an EQ or a compression or a, whatever it is. That's I'm going for that. I'm not trying to emulate the mix of another song per se. It's like mm. if I was writing a song that was like Red Rain, I'm not right. going to go and use Red Rain and say, hey, this is the song I'm trying to do is Red Rain. I don't sure. think I would go and use that as my reference. And the reason for that is, is that if there's something exactly like what I'm doing, I want myself to differentiate from it. So I'm going to use different references. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the primary use where we use reference mixing is a couple of different reasons but i think the big thing well, for what me are your as reasons? well is just that to sort of create or emulate a sound of a mix that is going to be appropriate for the song that we're working on mm -hmm. i think that that's that's one thing that we can do i think it can be helpful to have a reference mix in those cases so that we don't lose track of, of where we're going with a mix, where we're heading. There's one thing to sort of trust your judgment, but we know when we can sit and obsess about things for you know, extended periods of time, it can be very easy to get fatigued and we lose you know, objectivity, as it were. Sure. So using a reference mix can phrase I like to use like dial in your ear a little bit because you're you're kind of resetting it's in much of the same way as just stepping away from the mix for a few minutes but just so kind of getting a refresher of that yeah you're saying you use a reference mix to dial in your ear and are you it's, doing that well, without that taking a break because to me I would take a break but that's just me yeah no it's all of that, like I said, the, using reference mixes a lot more is something that is kind of new to my workflow because I used to work very much in the same that vein as, as you described, where I've, I've to a point where I can trust my ear pretty well, mm -hmm. but sometimes it can be good to get a reality check, if you will, and make sure that you're not going too far off the rails, even if it's just to confirm that you're heading down the right track with the overall sound of your mix. Sure. And just like you said, it's not like you're trying to completely emulate a mix down to each dB level of, of the low end or whatever, but it just kind of keeps you in that ballpark to know that you're not losing the plot. Of, <laughs> oh, I'm using way too much low end here or not enough or whatever happens to be. Sure. I get so it. that's how I kind of do that. Now, the other thing, and this is kind of where I hinted at in the beginning of this. I'm in the process right now mixing an album for an artist that has tracks that have been recorded during a long period of time, multiple years. Right. In different studio environments and different times, obviously. So everything is not, every instrument is not sounding the same on each song. So these reference tracks have helped me get to it. It's so that it sounds like a cohesive bunch of songs. 
right? You're instead of oh, here's just twelve separate tracks that are, you know, a collection of tracks that kind in the ballpark of each other, but they're all mixed differently. Mm-hmm. So Here you're I'm starting with in. using outside reference songs as your first mix template, and then as you finish the first song, you're using that first song as your reference for the next eleven. In this case. No, that would have been a good starting point as well. But no, I, I went into this process with my usual sort of mindset where I got a couple of songs like, this is how I think these should sound and got, you know, mix approval from the artist. And it's like, yep, I like where this is going. And then songs after that, I would reference those first mixes that I did as opposed to an outside song just to make sure that, Oh, and this song, I had the bass 5 dB louder, and it sounded appropriate at the time, but now that's going to stick out in reference to the other songs. So I'm using those earlier mixes that I did that have sort of been approved already to get everything else sounding in the ballpark of those. So you are using your own mixes as a reference, but you didn't use an outside source as the initial reference is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. There wasn't a sound that was where the artist said, look, I'm going for this kind of sound. Mm. You know, the material itself lent itself to a certain vibe. Right. And I just pursued that as best as I heard it. And then, you know, because, like I said, everything had been recorded over different time periods and different things, different studios, just trying to get – this is a combination of those track balance things and overall – scope to make sure that things sound appropriate even though it's not the same snare on each track or same guitar or same amp even right mm-hmm. but just getting everything sounded like it's cohesive and i find for me that this has been a case where using reference tracks really helps that process sure make sounds yes it does what about you do you have any cases where you've the you can describe your, your process where you've done that with reference mixes, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but how to go about choosing those reference mixes to make sure that you're, you're actually referencing appropriate material. Yeah, it comes down to asking the artist, and I don't leave that to chance per se, unless they're completely clueless. If they have no clue, then I'm going to use my own judgment and yeah. determine whether or not I need to use an outside reference or not. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to try and create an entirely new sound for an artist, then I might not use a reference mix at all. I might just use my own judgment. Right. But that's few and far between because most people have this very clear-cut concept of who they might sound like. How often do you so- find, though, that that the idealized sound that the artist has for themselves is somewhat removed from let's say reality <laughs> or, or, or an appropriate sound. Because I mean, that happens a lot though. I, I hear, you know, people talk, well, our band kind of sounds like so-and-so. And you go, really? You might be influenced by such and such band, but you don't sound like them, you know? Do you come across that a lot? Or do you find that most people have a, a, a sober sort of idea of what their band sounds like? I'm going to go with 80-20. 80% of the time, they think one thing. 20% of the time, they might be right. 
<laughs> okay. Is that a good so way it's of the reverse. It? Yeah, they're not right 80% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah, like, you know, can, in, when you're you're taking it from the beginning and you're asking mm-hmm. for reference of like, you know, if you're also tracking this and you're not just yeah. taking tracks in to get mixed, but you're also doing the actual tracking. Yeah. It really helps to have a clear-cut road of Yes, we want to get in this ballpark, and you listen to several references ahead of time so you know how you're going to mic and and track things in order to get to that easiest possible in the mix phase. Obviously, that's not 100% of the time that you'll ever get that luxury, but it can happen. And I know from experience with multiple artists that they say one thing, halfway through they're like, oh, no, this isn't where I was planning on going. I almost want to have like constant video going all the time so you can play the replay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and say, well, let's go to the tape. Th- let's Joey, go to the tape the and see what say? the replay says. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then play it back and go, this is the direction you had me going in. If we need to scrap it, we need to scrap it. Just know that it's going to cost more. So yeah. you have to pull an audible once in a while. And more often than not, it's the audible just to keep people in line of where they originally envisioned things. But that also sort of the the situation you're describing there sort of assumes that you're involved at the production stage too. Yes, it does. Because that that is the biggest thing, right? Because reality is that really like when you're mixing it, you're just enhancing what's been recorded, right? In the best of situation. You're not necessarily re-sculpting stuff. So... If a band goes in and has a certain idea of, yeah, we're going to sound like X, Y, and Z artist, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the, the the idea. And then come mix And that's time. three artists, X, Y, and Z artists. Yeah, not the band X, Y, Z, which was a band. <laughs> but but then it can be frustrating too. Is that, well, we were thinking about that when we recorded, but now we want to sound like A, B, or C. Is that, well that's not what you did at the tracking stage. So you're better off pursuing that. But that, again, comes down to what we always say, communication with the artist. Exactly. What do they have in mind? And speaking of communication, let's have a little communication with a word from our sponsors. And now we're Mm -hmm. going to delve into the concept of how to go about using a reference mix. I think that's a good place to go. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so there are you know, several plugins that make this process easier or certainly smoother. And that would be the plugin I mentioned the other day that I'm not paid to say, but it's Plugin Alliance Adapter AB or Metric AB. Hey, Plugin Alliance, throw Chris a bone. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm single-handedly keeping that company afloat. That's not nearly true, but yeah, I I do like their stuff. I do like their stuff. Mm -hmm. But there are other ones as well. There's a company called Mastering the Mix that has Reference Mix 2. There's, you know, Magic AB by Sample Magic. Melda has M-Compare. And And you also mentioned that Ozone, right? Yes. So Isotope has had this feature inside the Ozone plugin since version 8. Hmm. So yep. it's it's a relatively new thing because they're only on version 9 at this point, if I'm not mistaken. However, with Ozone 8 and obviously also in Ozone 9, there is a whole section called reference. So it allows you to put in actually a whole – you could 
go with an unlimited number of tracks if you really wanted to inside Ozone, I think. I don't yeah. know how many of the max is, but I've never run into it. But that's a really handy feature, though, when you're doing things like you described at the top here, where you say, I'm, I'm looking to get in the ballpark of the low end of this track, or it might be the, you know, like the, the warmth of the mid-range of this track or mm-hmm. what have you, right? So you can have different mixes or reference mixes in there. It can be very, very handy for that. Yes. So, that, so that's, that's, like you enjoying the adapter AB from Plugin Alliance, I have made use of the reference section of Ozone. For that very purpose. Like, I want the low end from this song. I want the high end from this song. I want the vocal level from this song, so to speak. And then you can flip through them. And it's a really awesome way to do it. Most of these plugins, obviously, they're they're designed to do just what we're describing, right? And they make that process a lot easier with deep functionality, whether you have sections that can loop and obviously level match to your track that you're working with. So you don't get fooled by that as well. But even if you don't have which any of these uh, before plugins, you go further on, sure, you just mentioned something rather important, mm. rather important. Like I can't even stress how important that is, and that is level yeah. reference. In mm-hmm. that, some people when they first start out trying to reference another mix are going to try and mix to the volume level of the reference track, which yeah. if it's a finished and mastered song you're going to shoot yourself in the foot trying to reference that volume level as you do the mix. Yeah. You need to bring it down to the volume level that you are mixing at. So if your reference track is, say, minus 9 LUFS, and you're mixing for a mastering engineer who wants it at, say, minus 18 LUFS, you're 9 dB off on the LUFS scale, which means you need to bring your reference track down 9 dB. Yeah, so don't bring your mix up, bring the reference track down. In volume level, Yeah, in volume, right. Yeah, no, that's a big one. And we all know that even if it's just slight volume changes, it tricks our ear to think that, ooh, that's louder, that's better. In in a lot of cases where it's just so, Keeping that in, in mind as well is, is a very important thing. You're absolutely to, to kind of stress that. Right. That's right. So I, I just, it uh, had to be like said, because some people might be taking is like, oh, well, if I just throw this reference mix in, I'm just going to mix to that volume of them, blah, 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 blah. No, don't do that. Yeah. And it's good, even though that it is a done mastered track, if you're dealing with a commercial release, right? Mm-hmm. It is a good thing to sort of shoot for the overall quality sound quality of that, not level, but sound quality of that. And that just makes the mastering much easier for your mastering person when you get to that point, right? Because chances are that he or she will have to do a lot less to your mix. But don't worry about the overall levels. But if you can get close to a mastered track in your mix, mm-hmm. awesome. That's great. But understand that there is a little extra fairy dust on top of there from the mastering, <laughs> right? Fairy so, dust. Mm. Yeah. So, but even if you're not having a dedicated plugin to do this kind of thing, we can obviously just import on a separate track in our DAW and just import a file to have that as reference. It is not as smooth and, you know, has a couple of issues going on with it as well. But that's just something we can do. We can just have a muted track and kind of keep coming back to that as well. Yes. And prior to the ozone reference ability, that's how I used mm. to do it. 
So it, it's not a bad way. Now, one thing that the way I tend to work with the way I have processing on my master bus, that creates an issue that I need to be aware of because now I'm using this full mix, complete mix or commercial release on one track and it's going through the processing on my master bus. Mm. So I need to be aware of that, maybe do some handy routing there where it's not going through the same processing or else I'm, I'm fooling myself, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm adding more processing to a final thing. So I guess the irony is, is because I don't do that on a master bus, it doesn't affect me. Yeah, but that's a big pro of your workflow when you're doing that. So going through another auxiliary with your master mix where you're adding all your processing and then leaving your two bus alone, that alleviates that problem. Yes, right? it because does. Because now your reference tracks is not going through that. So that, that is a good point to bring up and it's something to be you know, aware of when we're dealing with that kind of stuff with reference mixing because it's like... It sounds different when I pull it into Logic. Yeah, because you have a compressor and EQ and tape emulation <laughs> on your master bus. So you're, you're effectively adding all that again. Sure. Um, the other thing yeah. that I would like to mention is if you're using an, a track, like a separate track, it actually does make it relatively easier to set the volume level to an appropriate yeah. volume level because you just drag the fader down X amount of dB based on how loud the LUFS is on it. Most DAWs come with an LUFS meter that you can throw on your track and it'll tell you, oh, this thing is mastered to minus 9 or minus 10 or minus 8 LUFS and then you can drag it down to whatever volume level you want it to be fairly easily just using the fader. Yeah. And so it might be a yeah, little more complicated in a reference plugin, but most reference plugins make it easy enough for you to do that. Yeah. So they're all good things to think about. Now, when it comes to selecting a reference track, mm -hmm. what do you generally look for? You mentioned like from an EQ standpoint or a soundscape standpoint. What about when it comes to the actual material as far as like type of song and, you know, a balance of instruments? What, what do you tend to look for? The reference from the artist in terms of yeah. certain things. That's, that's going to be the biggest deciding factor. However, if there is no reference given and I've determined the direction it needs to go and I need those references, I don't care the style. What I care is the, the sonic quality and mm. the EQ factor. There is a list of seven tunes that I tend to have as my go-tos for certain functionality in the EQ and balancing of a mix. And I can tell you, like, one of them is a song called Waterfall from some obscure artist over in, like, Sweden. <laughs> and the main reason being is his, his bass line in that song is probably one of the greatest sounding basses I've heard. In terms of how it thumps you in the chest and how it triggers the low end. Another one but, that I use for like just balance and sheer beauty inside a mix is Red Rain by Peter Gabriel. Uh -huh. Because right. that song is just so beautiful in the entire organization and structure of the mix. So but those are two ever, of my references that I use for pretty much anything. Right. But don't you find that Depend, it has to be sort of like style dependent of the musical style because not every music genre has sort of a similar 
curve of EQ, if you will, or have the same sort of sonic qualities. So I think it, it is dependent on, on what kind of style that we're doing in the sense that, let's say, a hip-hop track, for example, is going to have a completely different low end sure. as opposed to a rock track. Mm -hmm. Or if you're dealing with, you know, again, absurd example here, but if you're dealing with like a jazz quartet is going to have a completely different soundscape as opposed to a rock mix or a hip hop mix or whatever type of mix. That's right? just absurd. <laughs> I know it is no. an absurd. I absurd do want to make things example. sound as good as I can. So like mm. I said, there are certain qualities to that baseline that I mentioned from that song waterfall that just really are like, Oh, and I think even a jazz quartet might benefit from it as well. So it just depends on the song. It depends on the nature of what the artist wants. And then it depends on, I think to me, the style, the genre is the last thing I'm going to think about in terms of why I'm referencing a sound. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think I, I differ a little bit in my opinion on that because I think that, yes, I'm the mindset and I, my taste also goes for like, I want it to be sounding as good as possible. Mm -hmm. But good is a very subjective word. So sure. I think almost a a better word to use is appropriate. You know, and I think that they're you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the term that some people use overproduced. <laughs> that 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 doesn't fit into my my vocabulary. I, I don't get that. I mean I understand what people mean when they say it, mm -hmm. but I think how do you overproduce something? It's just it. What is it sounding too good to you? Is that what you're what you're saying? I think a better phrase might be like it. It's inappropriate. We need to have appropriate balance. So so I go outside of of your mindset there a little bit. Although I try to make things sound as good, but I think style drives that a little bit more as opposed to what what good is. Sure. And certainly when it comes to to levels of instruments and that type of thing. I can see that. Yeah. All right. I think we've actually disagreed on one thing here for the first time ever. <laughs> to sort of wrap up the whole thing of reference mixes, I, I do think they are they're really good. I don't think it's necessarily something that we should be slaves to. No. I think we need to trust our ears, but just as what it says in, in the title, reference mixing, it's something that you're using as a reference to kind of keep you on the path of delivering the mix and the soundscape that you're you're looking for yes so on yeah. that we agree good 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 <laughs> anything else that we need to add to that anything that you'd like to bring up no i would like to say it's time for friday finds chris what do you got i discovered a video this week that i found super interesting it was sonic scoop that had a mixing masterclass with Tom Holkenberg, aka mm -hmm. Junkie XL, and how he deals with his cinematic scoring and everything now, and how he does his mixing process. And the way he has his template set up is absolutely mind blowing. It reminded me a lot of when we've talked about mixing templates and things. Mm -hmm. And the way that we talked about how some cinematic composers set up, you know, depending on project, 
what they're doing. That's not at all what he does. He's, he's been working <laughs> and refining his, his template for 18 years. And the way he kind of goes through that, I'm not going to do it justice here, but I found it really, really, really fascinating. And he justifies why he does things the way he does. Do yourself a favor and just just find that video on YouTube. It's Sonic Scoop with, with Tom Holkenborg. And he has some amazing stuff on his uh, on YouTube channel as well. But that was super interesting to me. So that has to be my, my Friday find. Cool. But uh, what about you? I'm going to double up this week with two quick mentions Ooh. of two things. Cool. The first being that Roland Cloud has announced that 28 of their iconic plugins, as they call them, iconic, mm -hmm. are now available as M1 compatible. Ooh, so well if you're done, in, Roland. Yeah, so if you are an M1 user of your Apple systems, you can now yeah, use Yeah, we're not talking natively. about the Korg M1 here. You're talking about <laughs> yes. the Apple chip, right? Well, yeah. yeah, Roland wouldn't be making Korg stuff anyway, so there. Ah, uh, that's a good point. You got me on a technicality. Right yes. There. Yeah. The second thing <laughs> is that's a little bit more useful for people that are looking for something in the neighborhood of free, because Roland Cloud is not free. That is, IK Multimedia is giving away a free piano plugin. All you have to do is give them your email address, and you get a free piano. Nice. Yeah. So that's not a bad that, deal. That's my Friday finds right there. Cool. We got a little bit all over the place with that Friday find, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We got covered all our bases. All right. So while we've got your attention, let's have you go to our website and sign up for our email list at insidetherecordingstudio.com. If you sign up for our email list, you'll get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips that come out every Tuesday and the weekly episode that you may have just missed. You get reminded, hey, go listen to that last episode. In addition to that, just for signing up on the email list, Chris and I give you something for free, some plug-in presets for Universal Audio stuff and for Slate Digital stuff. In addition to that, if you send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word reference... You'll get something cool in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode, contact us on our contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say see you next week, Chris. Take care, Jody. Talk to you later.